what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And you're working hard to put food on your family. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House! Welcome to another episode of Pints and Diplomacy. I am your host, Tyler Stewart. I will be your co-host, Ryan Comer. Today we have a recap of the news, some above and below the line, and an interview with video journalist and Emmy Award winner, Caroline Cummings, where we talk about her life as a reporter and how being the enemy of the people has impacted her career. So recap of the news, we have a Wisconsin recount that Donald Trump has paid for $3 million, uh, and that, that recount led to Joe Biden gaining 122 more votes. So Trump literally paid $3 million to increase Biden's lead, which really isn't as bad as Mayor what Bloomberg paying $500 million to have Elizabeth Warren rip his heart on a national television. So billionaires tend to just throw money wherever they want, and it doesn't work out for them. $34,000 per vote that uh, Biden gained out of that deal. I'm pretty good at math. Doesn't work out. I'm like Rain Man over here with the math. <laughs> or I looked it up. How much of that three million was his money, or how much was that his campaign? Well, yeah, and that's yeah, that that's a good point. Got from people that donated. Be- uh, he he said he will never concede. Trump went on to later say he he's never going to conce- concede. He'll never admit. Shocker that he lost fair and square. Yeah, money well spent. Jo- Joe Biden. <laughs> You're really excited about that. Yeah. Joe. <laughs> well, I don't know. So uh, Biden uh, sprains his foot. Playing with his dog, Major. A little frisky, I guess. I don't know. Playing too hard with his dog. Um, so it's kind of nice to have some normal um, you know, normal news about a, a president. You know, n- no big scandal or anything. He's just playing with his dog. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised it's not being turned into like, oh, Joe Biden suffers from brittle bone syndrome or like, sure. you know, his calcium levels or like uh, I'm shocked osteoporosis. I'm shocked that it hasn't turned into he's too old, that that narrative hasn't been spun on that yet. Yeah, so it's yeah interesting interesting news about Joe Biden. Uh, Trump, on the other hand, hates animals. Um, that's according to an ex-wife, one of his ex-wives. I don't know. She wrote a tell-all. And Do you know which one? Marla Maples? Mm. Trump's ex-wife, Ivana, told a story about the president's hatred of animals in her book, Raising Trump. Okay. Donald was not a dog fan, ex-wife Ivana confirmed in the memoir, recalling her poodle, Chappie, who would bark at him territorially. To add on to what you're saying, Ryan, what's going to be nice is that Biden will have two dogs and a cat while in the White House. So we'll be back to having animals in the White House again, and we'll have dogs and cats represented. Why is that good news? I, th- I just think it's nice to, to make the White House and our first family to look as reminiscent of a normal family as possible. Okay. I guess relative to Trump, I get what you're saying. but Most presidents have dogs at the White House. It just makes Yeah, but that doesn't make human. them better presidents. Oh, Jared. Like, What's your pro- why do you like better? This just in. Jared I, hates dogs, no, too. I'm oh, fine with dogs. Whoa. I do not like the whole, like, oh, well, they can't be as good of a president if they're not part of a nuclear family and a traditional family. I'm sorry. Oh. Is that what we said? That's I what said you said. N- I didn't fight, say it made him a better fight, president, fight, though, fight, like you just said I did. You said that you think a president should. Fight, fight, fight. You said it's good that we sure. have a president in the White House that represents a traditional family. Uh, it says it makes it more makes a president's family, the first family, look more like a normal family in America, that one that has pets and stuff at home. So yeah. okay, so the implied value there is that, that it that looks it nice. It, people can relate to the first family finally. Ah, whatever. You literally just tried to spin it. You've tried to spin. He's trying to spin two narratives <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, he's we went the no spin zone. He he's <laughs> trying to pick a fight with Ryan. He's trying to pick a fight with me now. <laughs> 
No, that I, I just was not like to pick a fight with Ryan. Time out. Hold on. I was trying to pick let's, a fight with you. Let's get to the truth here. Ryan, Ryan, I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you have a dog? I do have a dog. Can you ask me that question? Tyler, do you have a dog? I do have a dog. Jared, do you have a dog at home? No. Okay. So do you have a cat? No. Hamster? No. Goldfish. I do not have any pets whatsoever. Do you have any plants at home? Tyler is my pet. Oh. I have to take care of him. Oh, yeah. I just think it's <laughs> nice to have a first family with some pets in the house now. It's just it's just it's a good I don't know. It's 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 all optics. It just looks correct. I don't know. 100%. It looks good. It's all optics. You're it right. looks cool. Yeah. Pose the family picture with the with the animal. I don't know. And I think that's dumb. It is. It's not like I mean, it's not like a serious. Right. Obviously, yeah, no, that's it's not fair. a serious thing. But it's I don't but know. that is, I mean, for a lot of people, that is a serious. Thing. Like they really, oh yeah, that is no, like, like that informs people's opinions and their decisions about their president. I think that's dumb. But about yeah, whether they're yeah. you know going to be a. Would you rather have them take their or you know base their opinions off of whether the president has a dog or have them base their opinions and decisions off of the parlor app? <laughs> There's a that better a ex- way. That, to that was a bit extreme. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> Another news we have: there are some Republicans out there who really want to see Trump at Biden's inauguration. I think Senator Roy Blunt was one that went on record saying he'd love to see Trump at the inauguration to show a sign of unity. And obviously, that's not going to happen. There's just no way you're going to see Trump there. Not a chance. There's I can think of a handful of people that you're more likely to see there. There might not be money. that many empty chairs. You're trying to score tickets, so I'm. We're, yeah, this is my public service announcement to anybody out there that's listening. If you know how to get inauguration tickets. <laughs> I thought you said you I had them. You, hey, you were hey, acting hey. like you had them. What is this? I'm following a couple leads. I oh figured out. Oh, my God. But if somebody could make my life easier on that, let me know. I would welcome three tickets to take off your hands. be great. That'd be great. All right. In other news, and I'm not very excited about this one, um, but it looks like Marionette Miller Meeks is going to uh, – Pull it out in the second congressional district. Is that right? It looks like she is it second congressional. Second congressional district. Yeah, second congressional district. Looks like she's going to win by um, reportedly six votes is the latest against Rita Hart. Six six votes on a three hundred ninety four thousand cast. I believe it's the closest closest race this year in this election cycle. Pretty crazy. Uh, The recount uh, closed the gap. They did a recount and it closed the gap uh, that was previously two hundred eighty two. Got it down to six votes. I just, it's just wild to me. 394,000 votes and it comes down to yeah, six. six. It's hard to believe. Pretty crazy. And that's, you know, it goes back to what, you know, what we were saying every episode is get out and vote. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, pe- for everybody that thinks, oh, my vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count. You know, what's the purpose? What's the point? Like, there's the point right there. Six people, you know, six people, seven, pe- you know, seven more people would have went and voted or 10 people or 12 mm-hmm. people or, you know, like just any, you know, it, it's wild. It's crazy that it would come down to. To just that many votes. And I was really hoping that Rita Hart would pull it out by one or two or three votes, and then we could literally say, "You're welcome. We did it. We gave her that bump. Yeah, we gave her that bump. The three-person bump. Our seven listeners could have put. We, yeah, if our seven <laughs> listeners could have pushed her over the top, hey, would have been sweet. Every little push we get, we'll take it. Give, give. Every push we give, we'll get. <laughs> <laughs> you push some, you pull some. You get pushed. Let's do some above the line, below the line. Uh, my above the line and below the line are very similar. So I'll start with I'll start with my above the line. We're going to end on a bad note, if that's okay with you. Uh, no. Sarah Fuller became the first woman to play in a Power 5 football game. 
she was a kicker. She kicked off, I believe, the second the second half. She kicked it off, and it was a pretty cool story. Uh, also, Callie Brownson for the Browns became the first female coach to coach a position group during the game. That's awesome. We're we're seeing a first female VP. We're seeing you know women kind of shatter that glass ceiling in different different areas, uh, which is good for young women to see that. It's good for them to be able to see successful females in all, I guess, all over in different areas, and so they can aspire to be whatever they want. Now, my below the line has to deal with the same thing, and that just comes from all of the misogynistic tweets that have uh, tweets, Facebook posts that have come out of it, and I guess that's to be expected. But what's also disheartening is just, uh, why do they have to say that? Why do Why do you have to say that? I don't get it. Why do we have to say those things? Mm-hmm. They yeah, why they can't we just celebrate something that's a? I mean, that's historical. It's a historic thing. I mean, how I don't know how long has college football been around, mm-hmm. and this is a f- this is the first time in you know what I don't know hundred years or w- whatever. Just celebrate it and be happy and and be happy for this young woman and be happy for all young women that are able to see this and have a role model like that. Um, yeah, it's aggravating that 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 anybody, you know, even if it's the the, you know your drunk uncle or whoever the hell mm-hmm. has to get on Facebook and make some stupid comment that, Oh, whoa, whoa, do you see her? Yeah. The kick, blah, blah, blah. Went, you know, she kicked it to the right. Hey, this is awesome. Like what? I don't, what else is there to say? Great job. Way to go. Cool. And leave it alone. Way to be a leader. Way to do something spectacular yeah. with your life. Yep. So yeah, that's my blow the line. Just why shut up. <laughs> misogynistic people Just shut up uh, all right ryan what do you got for what do you have for a uh, bubble so below the line i will go uh i'll go below first and end on a positive i guess um so my below the line uh because we're we're recording this a few days after thanksgiving um my below the line is uh is covid still um impacting our lives and affecting us and uh, not being able to spend thanksgiving with family um a normal thanksgiving um yeah so I, in my notes, I put thanks, thanks a-holes who won't wear a freaking mask. Like <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. And th- those are the people that probably still got together. They still got to spend time with their families and mm-hmm. um, they probably weren't safe about it. And well, they're um, not sheeple. So, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll see you here in a week or two when the numbers spike again. Um, we'll all get our thank you cards ready and, and get them in the mail. Those idiots. So, yeah. So not being able to spend Thanksgiving with my family. Is that your above the line? Yeah. So that was no, that was my below. Oh, it was your below. My below was not being able to spend sure spend Thanksgiving with family. Um, we made the best of it by texting back and forth. My above the line actually is uh, gonna go to uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Um, I thought I thought that was actually a really ended up being a really cool thing that they did. Um, they gave a bunch of money to charity. Um, I listened. I don't know if you guys listen. I watched a little bit of it. Um, Do you want to get some context? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, so throw some, some context, context in there. I so suppose. Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Um, there was also like a Snoop Dogg concert in there, and then he was one of the commentators. He for was the fights. electric. I heard. Yeah, I heard. Some people said he was the highlight of the whole night. Mm-hmm. Um, Snoop but then, Dogg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then Tyson and, and Roy Jones Jr. both uh, former champions, um, considered a couple of the best boxers you know in in my lifetime, um, uh, did a I believe it was an eight round exhibition match. Uh, the rounds were short, and they weren't f- a full three-minute le- f- uh, three in length round. They were a two-minute round, um, and I think the the gloves maybe were a little bit thicker gloves than what they would normally use. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw a little bit of the highlights. Um, I mean, they're both in their 50s, so, I mean, uh, they look they both look like they were in their 50s, 
it, you know, I mean, professional athlete fifties, not like mm-hmm. guy down the street fifties, but like, yeah. So, but the, the whole idea was to raise money for charity and, um, then to listen to the post fight interview, uh, it was just, it was really, really funny. Um, there was a lot of back and forth, just like lighthearted back and forth and, and joking and stuff. And, um, Tyson said like, he'd like to do it again. And, um, like he said, it's, it's not about him anymore. It's about doing, doing stuff for other people. Um, so I, I just, I think that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, he's really changed his life drastically from where he was, um, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, and is really a, a, a likable individual at this point in his life. And I think the majority of the proceeds were, were supposed to go to charity. Cool. Which two celebrities do you wish would fight each other? Hmm. I remember Trump Biden. and anyone. I'm, I'm sure wasn't you'd get Biden, his ass kicked. Wasn't Biden sure. talking about, I don't know, at one point wanting to take take Trump behind the, the <laughs> woodshed? Woodshed. Yeah. <laughs> I think he said something like, Back in my day, we'd take kids like that out behind the woodshed, something like that, yeah. which oh, is a little weird. It wouldn't be yeah. that wouldn't be very entertaining, but like it'd be, I don't know, for a little bit, maybe for 30 seconds. Yeah. Here's our interview with our very special guest, Emmy Award winner, Caroline Cummings. This interview was recorded on Saturday, November 21st. Enjoy. We'd like to welcome and introduce Caroline Cummings. Caroline is a DC native and Iowa transplant. She is also an Emmy award-winning journalist who covers Iowa state government for news outlets such as Iowa News Now and Siouxland News. Caroline, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. So uh, the purpose of our podcast is to humanize political figures and normalize having civil, hopefully, (laughs) <laughs> Hopefully you'll allow that. Um, no, but we want to have civil conversations. And sometimes we cover, you know, because politics in general is, is sensitive these days. We're living in pretty divisive times, but we want to just normalize that, you know, people can have civil conversations and discussions. And then also we do that while enjoying uh, <laughs> some nice cold The beer. only way to enjoy civil discourse, unless you get a little too inebriated, that's maybe what makes it a little bit less civil, right? <laughs> there you go. And so, yeah, we're doing that. And we're trying to, uh, you know, frequent local breweries because they're struggling during these difficult times as well. So we'll, we'll go around and share the beers we're drinking. I have a, a strawberry shortcake, it's a strawberry shortcake beer from Back Pocket. And it I, tastes exactly like a strawberry shortcake. It's really good. I have a Zoltan from Exile. Oh. Um, my it's my favorite. Set. It's, a, it's an IPA. It's one of my favorites. But I was torn between that and... Uh, single speed which is has my overall favorite beers so yeah so i've got a back pocket brewing uh raygun volume two that i'm finishing up one of those now and then i'm gonna open also an exile beer uh the sir mocha yeah the sir mocha lot yeah (laughs) i like that one i am uh i'm going with a saturday morning also from back pocket in coralville and it's part of their um smoothie sour series it's it's cherry yeah it's pretty good all right all good all around yeah solid beers uh i'll start i'll lead off with the first question with donald trump's we're gonna go right into national politics here but with donald trump's emergence in 2015 and 2016 and the introduction of like fake news and you know all the name calling the lamestream media and then referring to the journalists as uh the enemy of the people how has that translated into your life and your job 
Has that made your job more difficult? Are you harassed? Like what are, what have you experienced while reporting? Well, it's interesting because all of my professional reporting career has existed within the context of a Donald Trump administration. Graduated from college three and a half years ago in 2017. So my final year in journalism school was watching his ascent and his eventual victory and, you know, then getting sworn in and I moved to Iowa um, in May or what? No, it wasn't May. (laughs) Graduated in May, moved in it's like, what is time anymore? I moved in like late June and then started in this job. So I've never known a time where, you know, it hasn't been your fake news. I'm an enemy of the people. I should say those in the, I've never known a time where those terms didn't exist. It's not that like my whole life, I, you know, in this job, I, I feel that all the time. So to answer your question, I think that when I decided to go into journalism school and I decided to do this for a career, it was always clear that media was fracturing. And when I say fracturing, I mean, you know, you were getting more partisan offerings. You were getting cable news commentary shows and you could turn to MSNBC. If you were on the left, you could turn into tune into Sean Hannity if you were on the right. So that was already kind of bubbling over. There was people who had distrust in in media, but Donald Trump seized on that in the way that we've never seen. We've never seen a candidate running for office um, and subsequent president condemn journalists in the way that he does. How it's impacted me is, you know, it trickles down for sure. You know, the president's problems with the media tends to be around national outlets. Obviously, I don't work for a national outlet, but people aren't very media literate. And what I mean by that is they don't know the difference between a commentator or a, and a journalist. And they don't know the difference between Fox News Channel, CBS News, NBC News, and your local affiliates that bear that network you know, name, but they're not at all affiliated with the network other than there was breaking news. You know, my, my Iowa's News Now is a CBS and Fox affiliate. CBS might take, you know, our, our video if it was something really big. But at the end of the day, it's like, that's not us. So I found it to be difficult in the moment when people do confront you and people have confronted me. Um, you know, they'll see the CBS Fox logo on my, on my jacket and say, oh, you're like, like at a Trump rally. Oh, you're great. Like, we love you because you work for Fox. I don't work for Fox. Um, but then they see the CBS and they don't understand. And, you know, or that sometimes that doesn't even matter. They're just, you know, booing you and calling you fake news and Certainly at the Trump rallies, they're literally saying, turn around and boo the journalist, boo, do your job. And you're just like, what the heck, you know? I mean, because I'm just like, if you guys only knew, you know, this is like not glamorous in local level. Like I'm doing everything like, oh, do people do your hair and makeup? Do you have a cameraman? No, I shoot my own video for the most part, do my own hair and makeup, hauling my, you know, equipment up at the state house every day. It's like not glamorous at all, right? But people just think you're like elitist and, and so all, I guess it's a long way of saying like, yes, I feel it. It's just, I guess what makes me more frustrated is that people don't know the difference. And mm-hmm. I, I will say that when people start attacking, you know, the New York Times or NBC or whatever, that I do, you know, go to bat for them, right? Because if you're attacking one of us, you're attacking all of us. But then at the same time, 
time I like to, you know, let people know that like local news is arguably one of the places where you get the least partisanship, right? You don't have 24 hour cable news cycles where you have, a, you're convening a panel where everyone's projecting what their opinions about the news are. It's just, let me go out in the community, let me go to the governor's news conference, let me ask questions and tell you what is going on. It's, it's a fine line and people really sometimes just don't understand what I do. It's, I guess, a short way of saying it. Do you have like a particular story from being at a Trump rally or even, I guess, really any rally where somebody confronted you with the idea that you were fake news and it was really uncomfortable? Yeah, it was, um, I guess it was my first Trump rally. I've covered a few of them now. Um, it was in Omaha or Council Bluffs maybe two years ago. And I had heard, you know, they generally boo the reporters. They tell, like Donald Trump himself in a speech, in his remarks, might, might mention it. And then everyone turns to you. Or the people who are introducing him, there's usually several people who speak before you come out, might do it. I was like, okay, I know this. I know what he tweets, right? But it's, it's much more visceral when you're actually there in this arena and you're basically in a cage, okay? And this is not like unique to Donald Trump events. Like you're usually the presser kind of congregated in what we would call a pen, a press pen. But you, the, the moment of when you're like, you know how everyone hates you and then you're in this cage, you're like, oh, this feels like a little bit like, like a zoo kind of like, ooh, we're gonna like poke the bear, right? The, the journalists that are in there. You know, and it was, it was shocking. It was startling. And, you know, I'm just thinking to myself at the time, I, so that was 2018, I was what, 22, 23, doing it all myself, didn't have a photographer, drove two hours out there to do it, hauling all my equipment, you know, really like excited at the prospect of, you know, covering a national news event, yet so defeated by the fact that people hate you for no fault of my own, other than the fact that I'm a reporter. And and I say that I say this not to absolve media and journalism um, entirely. There's some there's some deep flaws with media that we need to look introspectively on, and we're not like all fantastic who all make who are all without faults and mis and making mistakes because we're humans, right? At the end of the day, we we aren't like rocket scientists. Even rocket scientists are people who will make mistakes. And I think that it's important for us to own up to them. But being in that in that room and, and having everyone boo you, it's it was it was startling. And then the idea too that, oh, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. Someone had to escort me um, from the campaign because they, you know, were afraid for us. It was just like, what? How did we even get here? And, you know, getting into the event. And, and I should say it wasn't everyone, but there was a group of three older men who were just, you know, jeering at me, fake news, but then also just kind of saying some inappropriate, like, sexual things towards me. And I'm just like, this is not what I signed up for. You know, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely defeating. But at the end of the day, it's like, you, you're there for, uh, you have a job to do. It's better just to not engage, just focus on what you're trying to do and go on. If, you, if you're out there like complaining about it or engaging back when someone's coming at you, you're not going to get anything. You're, you're not going to improve your perception to them, right? They're still going to see you as the enemy and maybe think that even more so. But if you can just be kind and keep, keep composure and just kind of handle it with grace, like I just think that's like the best counterpunch to anyone acting that way towards you.
Yeah, it, to me, it's, it sounds like any anybody or any entity or organization that disagrees with the president is fake news. We saw that with like Fox News. They were just marching the streets during the Million MAGA March, chanting that Fox News is terrible and bashing them because... Because of the Fox News anchors that projected Arizona. and Yeah. Were, yeah. It, and that's the thing is you can't win with some people. Um, <laughs> no, like you just, you really can't. And I don't know if there's ever, and I, and I say this, you know, quite sadly, I wish this wasn't true. I, I don't know how journalism or the media fixes those just deep rooted partisans on either side about how they're going to see you know the other side and it, it, it and that goes for how people who are super MAGA people will see any journalist no matter who they are you know it's yeah it's just I don't I don't know what the answer is but it just kind of there's going to be people you just don't you don't please and you can't please people that's the thing is like have to move on you can't placate everyone no one can be a people pleaser everyone and honestly it's not any journalist's job to be a people pleaser right it's to just report the facts, elevate like the voiceless, right? Tell the, you know, the, the mantra that we learn in journalism school, right? Is like comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. Um, so you kind of hit on, we talked about a little bit of the fake news. How does just misinformation also impact what you do? Because I think we would all agree, like we have greater access to information uh, today than ever before, but Along with that comes the misinformation, the stuff that's not true, uh, that gets shared on social media that, that, that people are reading and believing and buying into. How, like, is that something that you have to combat? Oh, yeah. I mean, people will DM me on Twitter, send me a message on Facebook, or more frequently actually send my station's Facebook page a message saying, why aren't you covering this? And it, it, first of all, it's some fringe like conspiracy theory that's not even local to Iowa. It's like one of those, you know, classic images that's like almost like a meme kind of circulating Facebook with no like attribution, just someone like saying something, why aren't you covering this? Or, or you'll get or you'll get like very legit like studies or something like the mo most recently someone sent something it was a new study about masks and their effectiveness and it was just Swedish study so they message it and you can tell that they're like messaging why aren't you covering like maybe the the opposite end or the ec the other science about masks the other side it's like both sides the, the, yeah it's like the the public health experts are clear masks are effective in our fight against the pandemic. So, but they're sending this legit study, right? And I, I quickly glance over it. It's very like scientific, whatever. And I just Google it. I'm like, okay, what are some news organizations that I trust? I think maybe the New York Times and Bloomberg, maybe I'm forgetting now who, who wrote up a, a little story about this study. The way that this person was presenting it was, Hey, I hope you, you cover this to show that masks actually aren't working. Well, the study was saying disputing perhaps that the masks might help you, which is a new CDC finding as of like a week or two ago that not only do they protect other people, they can offer some protection for you, um, which was never, you know, the consensus for a while is always about wearing masks to protect other people. But the way that, that this story was written was they're, they're just questioning the veracity of masks protecting you. They did not at all dispute that masks protect others and you should still wear them. Mind you, there was other people saying that there was holes and that the science from Sweden, what have you. But that's a perfect example of like, this is a legit, this is a legit story, but someone's like misinterpreting it, right? They're trying to use that as like leverage to like, you need, you're not covering the other side of masks or something, which is like, that's not even the, that's one of the more innocuous examples, I guess. I mean, other people, it's just, 
you know, sharing conspiracy theories uh, about like maybe QAnon related, right? Which is kind of becoming more mainstream now. And it gets exhausting because today it's hard even when you feel like you're armed with the facts to give people, to challenge their, their point, which is perhaps baseless, like the QAnon theories are. They don't believe it. Facts aren't facts to people. You could say the sky is blue. You see the sky, you agree it's blue, right? The sky is blue. You're looking at it, it's blue. Doesn't matter. The sky is green to some people. And facts aren't even a way to, to dispute some things anymore because of the distrust in maybe where you are sending factual information. What if I sent that New York Times story talking, excuse me, about the study to the guy who messaged us? Well, if he doesn't believe in the New York Times and thinks it's fake news, well, he's not going to believe that, right? So it's just like, you almost feel helpless sometimes because you can't dispel with some of the fiction about it. And for me, I always, if someone asks me, I always try to first draw on, okay, this is, this is the limitations of what I know, especially if it's a topic that I cover. So if someone is asking me something about Kim Reynolds, who I've covered for three and a half years, like very closely. I always am like, this is what I know. This is what we don't know. This is what we are trying to get answered. Like be transparent about the process. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that also makes people understand that there isn't sometimes black and white on issues. And I think that's where some of the misinformation comes from is that there's a piece of misinformation out there or disinformation, which of course is like, intentionally thrown out there to deceive whereas i see misinformation as more of kind of a distorting of the truth or or you something is misinterpreted and then circulated and then the misinterpretation is latched onto i think that part of the reason people buy into that is they want answers like they want yes or no the sky is blue the sky is green right and sometimes things don't exist like that so to try to like get people to understand processes of like reporting and information pandemic is a perfect example. The science is, has been emerging, right? It hasn't, mm -hmm. when the pandemic first hit our shores, we didn't understand how it was transmitted. Remember when everyone was washing their groceries or spraying down their <laughs> groceries, you know, so, so just to try to understand that sometimes things don't have a like completely clear answer at the moment, I would hope would make people more reluctant to attach themselves to whatever they see on the internet or be inclined to say, okay, I'm seeing this here. Why do I see what other people are saying about this? Are there other similar articles? Because I think there's plenty of articles that look like legit news sites, mm -hmm. but they're not. So, you know, having the due diligence of like checking that or like sending the real, <laughs> the real actual story, not the one that's, you know, the misinformation I, you know, I, I just wish people did more of that, like self checking too. But again, it's like, I do this for a living, right? So I'm going to be able to spot those, you know, do that vetting or know to do that vetting. But a lot of people like they, if they see it in print or see it on the internet, they, they might take it at face value. And I kind of take, I kind of take for granted that I don't, and that like, I'm trained not to. So Tyler and I are both teachers and I, and I don't, I guess I've never I don't know that we've ever talked about this, Tyler, but like I know in my own classroom, I have kids come in all the time and they say, hey, did you hear about, and I teach social studies. They come in, did you hear about this thing that's going on that the government's doing? Did you hear about this? Mm. And I'll right away, I'm like, where did you see it? And they'll say, Facebook. I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. Like if yeah. 
take that next step of Google it and see where, okay, follow the, you know, follow, go down the wormhole and see where did it come from? Because you can usually find, or like, I've, hopefully my cousin doesn't watch this, but I've got a cousin who on Facebook shares the most outrageous stuff. And like he shared a picture that was clearly doctored of, of Joe Biden with a bottle of booze hanging out of his pocket, his suit coat. And he was groping a woman and in the picture. Yeah, and it's like a doctored media yeah. manipulated image. Yeah. Like Google it. And in less than 10 seconds, you can find out that this isn't even true, but yeah. we, I don't know if it's the, the sometimes it doesn't even, that's the, uh, what, what I find problematic at this moment is it can be a debunked image. The media, the manipulated images, like the deep fakes, which are like getting more and more sophisticated of changing someone's words, like putting, someone's face on someone else's body and like it looks like really legit or just even things that look like a ridiculous meme but if someone doesn't know any better like if i saw the image i'd be like this is not real right if it looks legit enough to the average person who isn't like keep first of all also a lot of these people on facebook i would wager aren't keeping up with the horse race of every little like development in political news right they're not going to be able to like maybe spot that that doesn't line up. That's not a bad thing. I mean, people don't have to, as Americans, keep up with literally every single thing. It's like, that's, that's my job, right? To do that and present the information to them. Literally but, a full job. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's the, to just the point of like debunking that, even if it's debunked, okay, you go to fact check, um, the pointer of fact checking, and there's a whole, all, a whole onslaught of fact checking. I mean, the Washington Post is just fact checking that's really robust. Um, you, it, it doesn't matter almost. Even if you, you, that is out there, that's out there enough that it's what like people, people might not see the follow-up. They might not see the correction. I can't think of the specifics off the top of my head, but there were some instances, you know, the cries of election fraud, right? In this election, it was a, I feel like a party official in some state tweeted something that then turned out to be debunked. He deleted the tweet and like said, I was wrong or whatever. Well, it was out there. Enough people saw it so that they would bring it up to me. My little brother is 18 years old. Everything he does is TikTok, Snapchat, you know, those types of newer media spaces. And he's like, well, Caroline, what about this? I literally looked it up and I was like, no, no, no. Like he walked this back, but look, you latched onto that piece of information and it doesn't matter if there's something correcting it because it's already out there. And if people have already saw, seen it, they've already consumed it, they might've already shared it and seen someone else, you know, then someone else gets it and then someone else gets it. And you can see how it gets like beyond the point of no return and like very hard to control. And I think the internet is, you know, it's a great thing for connecting. Look, you and I, we're doing this today. It's a great way to get information and people can be informed by all of the offerings that are on the internet, but then there's, it's also like on the flip side, really dangerous sometimes, right? When that information can circulate without the maybe correction or apology or fact check circulating like just as much as, you know, that image that was debunked. Sounds just like a huge nightmare of a, like a huge uphill battle that we have to fight for the next forever, how long, even just dealing with misinformation, disinformation, yeah. 
And it doesn't stop. It doesn't begin and end with Trump, like I said, right? Yeah. Trump's Trump's sowing distrust in journalism and media. Like I said, I, I think it was really already starting there. And I don't think it goes away when Trump leaves office because, you know, some hardcore supporters of the base really like love that. Like no wonder he brings it up at rallies, right? It's going to get the crowd going. They get excited to turn and boo at you, right? It's kind of like a, you know, a war cry of sorts that you feel like, like united in all of these media people are working against me and what I want. Mm -hmm. And so what I feel like I try to actively do is like, you know, just like, listen, like I've listened, there's been plenty of people I've interviewed at campaign events, at these rallies, any sort of political event that won't make a story, that won't make air, right? But just like, like show that you're like listening mm -hmm. can sometimes be enough because for people who feel like they're forgotten in media or the reason media is fake is that they never like elevate their voices or like care to like ask them what they think, then, you know, I want to show that due diligence because it's so much of what this job is, right, too, is just listening to what people say and elevate their stories. Now, that's not so much like all the time at political events. I do that more as kind of like a what's the what's the what's the tone? What's the, what's the feeling? What's the mood? Because so much of what you talk to people at these events can really be informative in, in how a candidate's doing or how the president's support. So yeah, it's, it's tough, but I don't think people who think that it's going to be like over with, with Trump, like not being in office anymore, I think are, are misguided. I think that there's, it's going to be a long uphill battle to yeah changing people's minds about media and and journalism and and some of that you know i acknowledge is 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 on us right um but then there is of course just people who have unfounded hatred or distrust in us so we're i think all three of us are more left-leaning mm -hmm. uh, more liberal and so we've reached out to republicans and we did get one local gentleman that was running that sat down and met with us. But yeah, we've had a hard time getting Republicans. In yeah. And, and that's, that's the, the, the hard part. Right. And I, I give the example of, you know, turning on the opposing channel, if you want to call it that mm -hmm. um, as an example, but that's, that's the heart of it is like people are so in their camps and, and, and the different sides are like scared to go on the turf that is not familiar to them. And Republicans and Democrats do this. They're they're like in the same way that I feel like, you know, Democrats running for office wouldn't go on to some, you know, conservative writers who are blockers in Iowa. Would I don't think that they would let them interview them, right? And and so I don't know what the answer is. I really wish I did because it's something that I struggle with is to because I see it at, you know, so many levels. People not wanting to come on your podcast, people being extremely evasive about politics at dinner. What happened to a Thanksgiving dinner that could be civil about politics and not be so like you're attacking like my my family almost. It's like it become kind of like you like very familial, you know, like politics is very much like you attack my belief. It's like you're attacking me. It's like personal. It's not just like we can have differing opinions on policy. And so I think that that's, I, I think that kind of also starts at the top in like DC and how, because that's right. Everyone's eyes are on that. 
I think like if they could show an example of like that they can work out compromises that it's not like Twitter wars. I mean, Twitter is absolutely a garbage website, I'll just say. And this is someone who like has to use it for my job and I like to, you know, share funny anecdotes and stuff on it. But like people like engage in Twitter wars and they think Twitter wars are literally real and they're not, right? Of like, you know, different campaign people attacking each other or like stupid Twitter stats that happened over the caucus cycle that no one cared about, like an average person. It was like the Twitter echo chamber. Mm-hmm. So I feel like... If people saw maybe Congress acting more civil, and again, I don't think this is like the silver bullet or something, but I feel like if there was just more visible people that you see in media being civil with each other, it might make it easier to be civil, you know, at the local level and you don't fear like unfriendly territory because, you know, at the end of the day, you'll be treated fairly. So... You traveled from D.C. to Iowa to, to work here. Is this a, is Iowa a stepping stone for you to a, a major news network? That, I'm, I don't, I hate to say stepping stone because. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't mean in a negative way. Like you don't care about sure. the place you're in. I mean, certainly, yes, my long-term goal would, lo- like, I'd love to be a, I, I, for a long time, wanted to be a White House correspondent, uh, <laughs> knowing knowing how that job has been under these last four years for journalists. I don't know how much I'd want to do that, and it's it's not like a, a Trump issue. It's just the White House, like in general, but certainly Trump's hatred of the media wouldn't make it easy. Um, I, I being here is maybe more fascinated with. Um, politics and and when i say politics i mean like what are the trends like talking to voters on the caucus campaigns where it was so exciting and so fun um and you know like tracking like steve kornacki's nbc map right that like everyone oh my god steve kornacki but just being able to okay like what are the trends in this little like you're getting down to the zip code to the to the little like you know county in these states and you're like zeroing in on them and what are the trends there and how does like anecdotal reporting reflect that trend? Like I love that kind of storytelling and talking mm-hmm. to people and policy affecting people. I mean, don't get me wrong. If someone said, Hey, Caroline, you want to cover the white house? I'd be like, um, sure. But I, I want to be able to be like a national correspondent sure. that would get to travel to different parts of the, the country and, and like learn all of the, political nuances of which there are many in so many different states. I mean, Iowa alone has that in its different suburban, suburban trends and the Obama Trump counties. And well, you know, one story I want to, to follow is, well, okay, if Trump isn't in the White House anymore, where does that leave those Obama Trump voters? Do they just go back to being like Democrats or did Trump actually fundamentally change their voting behavior? That's my long-term, I would love to do that. So I, and and Iowa has has helped me like more understand that I want to do that, which has been great. And that's, you know, I think part of why you, you start somewhere and Mm -hmm. you're going to learn throughout your career. And I'm just lucky that I feel like I could inform that decision early on. Is there, are there any uh, news agencies you wouldn't work for? Um, I, I don't think there is. And I say that because there's good journalists in a lot of places. Well, OAN. 
Yeah, I don't think I would work for, for them because they become a little bit uh, too yeah. part. And I'm trying to think of like, I feel like there's a, a fringe one on the left that is not as like robust as OAN. Um, but I, it's like when you get to that level, like I draw a line. Like I can't, cannot be affiliated with something that is like overtly like seen as partisan. Because yeah. even if I was doing my best, it would be hard to distinguish my reporting from what you're associated with. I mean, I'm already telling you guys, it's so hard for me to distinguish myself from, you know, people's feelings, however unfounded they might be about national reporting and quote fake news. So I can only imagine the challenges that would come with, you know, trying to distinguish myself from like a very hyper-partisan place. Uh, Tyler did some investigative journalism himself and found out that you are an Office fan. And Tyler and I both consider ourselves pretty big Office fans. <laughs> yes, I am an Office fan. I'm wearing a Dunder Mifflin shirt. Oh, look at that. I, how did I even miss that? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. it was between this and uh, I survived Scott's Tots. And I had a <laughs> uh, Shroot Farms one that I thought about, but I just thought I'll go basic Dunder Mifflin. First off, Tyler and I talk often about, we do talk quite a bit about the office which episode of the office is more cringy scott's tots or dinner party dinner party that's more cringy that's what yeah. i always say and everybody always I ignores know. me i just think jan really like i don't know how she acts in the dinner party really gets me but uh, if we're talking favorite if we're talking favorite office episodes can you eat, do definitely that? cafe disco so <laughs> is it like the disco cafe <laughs> yeah, when Michael Scott is trying to have like people come to the cafe, oh, yeah. so, and then there's that scene where him and Kelly are like dancing, like <laughs> easy, easy girl. With, doesn't he back out? Doesn't so, Michael lure Kevin down there with a fake cookie in his hand? Is that what he's doing? I Cook, think so. Cookie something Kevin, cookie like Kevin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he doesn't have a cookie. And then whatever episode it is, and I'm forgetting which the name. Maybe no, it's when um, Dwight like takes the um they're doing like a, a class on like cpr or something oh like, oh yeah that was a super cool episode he's like, Stand up. Stand up. oh yeah that's a great one that's like one lot. of the best scenes ever the parking lot that's where i know you from oh jared you feel so left out right now don't you yeah i I like the office, but I'm not like get a super. In the, in the pro, with the program, honestly, like even if people hate the office, I'm like, you need to like apprise yourself of some of the infamous episodes just so you can understand the like references and people yeah. like, drop them in conversation. Because I think it's come up in almost every interview we've done so far. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, oh, cool. Fun stuff. No, but I always oh. tell people that to me, the cringiest episode is dinner party. Because um, they're like, they're talking about. Michael talked about his vasectomies and snip, snap, snip, snap. Yeah. Like, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's all these yeah. subjects that are super, super uncomfortable. It's also like, because it's a dinner party, like, I don't know. I feel like it's very exaggerated, but we've all been there with really awkward encounters oh, yeah. over dinner with strangers or people we don't know that well. So it, that's why I think it's especially cringy is this knowledge of like, maybe this could really happen, you know, <laughs> or could happen, you know, so. Um, who is the, uh, who's the best couple off of the office? Cause a lot of people talk about like, I'm a Jim looking for my Pam or Pam looking for Jim, but you've got Bob Vance and Phyllis 
You've got Ryan. Yeah, they're, they're a sleeper. They're a sleeper pick, I think. You've got Ryan and Kelly. You've got Michael and well, you got Michael and several options, but um, definitely Michael and no options. He would be the bottom of the list. I would say Jim and Pam for sure, obviously. But like I said, sleeper pick Phyllis and Bob Vance because Bob Vance treats Phyllis like she's the queen that she is. So you know that's very essential. <laughs> very true. I got one. I got one more office. Is there a is well? I got two. Sorry, I got two more office office questions. Again, we're trying to humanize the people that are involved in politics here, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, including yeah. the people who who cover them. I know that's the thing. It's like at the end of the day, you like know that I'm a person first. Like I'll joke with. I joked with Joe Biden when I interviewed my joke with, you know, Kim Reynolds when I've interviewed her, or ask her how her grandkids are. It's like, just be a person. Like, it's not that hard. It's not like I'm some boogeyman. And likewise, neither are they. Like, they're people too, um, even if I'm going to ask them hard questions. Like, that was you know. maybe one of the best casual name drops I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, that one time I interviewed Joe Biden. I've interviewed Joe Biden three Joe times. Biden. <laughs> um, one of the times the 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 funny thing though was he, so I was MMJing as they say in one of those interviews. Um, so I was doing it all myself. I, the other two times I had a photographer help, but it was, we were in a, the cafeteria at Simpson college in this like corner that they closed off and I was packing my stuff up and he was like trying to like grab my camera and just say, don't, don't tell the union. Like I'm trying, you know, because union contracts generally in television have very strict rules about who can touch equipment, who can't. And I'm, I, I'm very much not in a union, so that wasn't applying to me. But it's just like, here's this former vice president, now president-elect, but at the time, of course, he wasn't, used to, like, network photojournalists mm -hmm. who were unionized. And he's like, don't tell the union that I'm helping you. And I was like, in the union. You know, like, thinking that, like, you know, because he's used to, like, big production value in so many instances. But here was just me and my camera, talking to him and you know I just asked like who we had in the Super Bowl like a you know I always kind of throw like a softball nice question at the end if I'm packing up like kind of like what you guys are doing with the office stuff right like it just again I do it as like a human thing like you're a person and I'm a person I don't want to make this awkward and like end on a sour note if you don't like my question um and I asked him who we had in the Super Bowl and he said well the Eagles are out but I, I, get, I guess I have the Packers, and he went on some, like, little story about the, the nuns at his school when he was a kid or from Wisconsin. So anytime the Packers won, that they got a day off or early dismissal or something. He, he went really <laughs> into the weeds about his parochial Catholic school in, in Scranton. I love how so, that that just kind of came full circle there, how we kind of segued to talking about Joe Biden there, and you brought it back to Scranton, PA. So... Ryan, back to the office. Uh, well, that brought, so now like I'm my, I've got ADD big time. Um, so do I. I don't know if you couldn't tell. I'm it's, hard in these, it's hard in these open discussion forums for me not to like <laughs> get wrapped, raptured by like one comment and then be like, oh wait, like squirrel, like other comment. <laughs> Anything. Is there, do you have like a, a go-to quote from the office that you feel like you say a lot? Um... <laughs> I mean, I don't like say a lot as to like apply to me, but I think it's just like one of the most iconic of um, what Michael Scott is out going on that riff about like, would you rather be fear or feared or loved? Well, I would want people to fear how much they love me. <laughs> I think that's a pretty epic one, I'll say. Yeah, that's a good one. 
All righty. Well, uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate uh, you giving us your expertise on, on journalism so we can hopefully show our viewers and listeners that not all journalists are, enemy of the, are enemies of the people, I guess. Yes. No enemies, please. <laughs> Just your friendly neighborhood journalist. <laughs> All right, that was our interview with Emmy Award winner Caroline Cummings. We do have some breaking news here to update what we were talking about in the intro. Uh, Joe Biden's foot, the doctor has just come back and said he has hairline fractures in his foot. Yeah, it was nice when you can prove me wrong. Yep, that's fun. That's fun for everybody. <laughs> that's fun for the whole family, Tyler. Well, he's going to have to be in a walking boot for several weeks, it says. Osteoporosis rules. Maybe Trump's onto something about with dogs. Maybe dogs only lead to broken That's hearts and broken feet. Saying. Broken hearts and broken feet. Maybe if there's Paul one Pilot's thing me and Trump are on the same page with. Thank you. But that that's uh that's just interesting to see that how that news story changed in like a matter of ten minutes from when we talked about it to see that he uh, actually did break his foot. So to get some takeaways from our interview with Caroline Ryan, what is your one of your takeaways? Uh, my biggest takeaway is. Caroline's ability to stay neutral in her coverage, um, mm -hmm. and and she kind of alluded to the fact that that um, her political position is very neutral. Anyways, like she is kind of down the middle. She's got she agrees. Sometimes she's voted Republican, sometimes she's voted uh, Democrat. But in this day and age where we all um, I don't know are guilty of having some bias, um, maybe looking at news coverage that fits our bias, she is really trying to be very neutral in her coverage, and that's I don't know. I thought that was very refreshing to hear come from her. Yeah, no. She, I think I tried a couple times to see if she would take a stance on something, and she remained like super professional throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and the whole her whole, uh, you know, local wanting to promote local news or the idea of local news, I think that's a really important piece that is missed a lot of times, and it's easy to today with how, I mean, she was talking about the affiliates and how that works, and that you know a lot of people don't really understand that. Just because someone's uh, an affiliate of this or that network, it doesn't mean that they're owned by or have any allegiance to that network. That's not how it goes. She can be Fox News affiliate and ABC affiliate and or whatever. Um, that was interesting to hear her talk about. It's, something you, it's easy to forget about that even when people are trying to talk to you about like, oh, well, you know, why, why are you saying that we should trust news? And I think that's the answer is like the vast majority of people covering news – are people covering it for local communities and lo local uh, organizations, publications, networks? Um, so how, yeah. Especially how she mentioned that she unpacks her own equipment and all that stuff. And I think she mentioned mm -hmm. at one point in the interview how Joe Biden was helping her pack up equipment at yeah. one point or something like that, which yeah. is – that's just a neat story to hear. Yeah. Uh, my, my takeaway was I believe we talked about how being labeled as enemy of the people, how has that impacted her – I guess her career and how she, I guess what happens on a day-to-day -day basis with her and when she's in, when she interviews people or covers presidential rallies or debates or whatever. And to hear her say that at Trump rallies is where she gets the most. And I think she tried, it seemed like she was kind of trying to downplay it almost like she didn't oh, she definitely say was. like, Oh yeah, I get it all the time. It wasn't like that. She was kind of like, Oh, you know, it's not that bad, but I did, you know, I did cover Trump rallies and I definitely saw it. Yeah, and I think she mentioned at one the, point, I mean, this was like, the, she said this on the back burner of everything, at the, like almost casually that, yeah, she gets like sexist comments and like cat mm -hmm. calls and all that stuff at her and but at Trump rallies. I don't know. I just don't get like, why do, what's the appeal? Make a rude comment. Is it and just, then a, she, she's going to fall for that. 
I don't get it. And that's what the sexism that just falls in with a lot of these rallies. I don't know. I, I've i been to two Trump rallies. Ryan, we went to one together, I believe. Yes. Um, the one thing I did note at the Trump rallies when I was there is that how angry everybody was. I literally remember texting people how angry everybody looked. Well, and that just probably feeds yeah, in that's, that all I mean, the, the That's negativity. what I was – we kind of started talking about this uh, – before we started recording and my point was kind of you know i'm sure it's more prevalent at trump rallies but the cat calling and the sexism is not unique to those supporters but it is definitely an atmosphere that is in some ways designed to bring that kind of stuff out of people so it's no wonder that it's more prevalent because mm-hmm. all of those things that unfortunately it's it's all too prevalent in our society that there are a lot of men who think that way and who will do those kind of things in certain situations and that is one of those situations where I mean, it's being allowed and even encouraged. Well, and if you look at the way Trump deals with women um, in the past, some of the comments that he's made, you know, when he gets into an argument with a woman or, or you know, like, I mean, I think earlier, um, Rosie O'Donnell, I think, was was was, was an, was yeah, yeah, was a one that he, he kind of well, got Rosie. into it with. Yeah. And yeah, like just the, the just very like, I don't even know what the right word is, offensive or rude or um attacks yeah like the way that he or like uh with um oh the the woman that was the moderator megan Megan kelly yeah megan kelly um yeah just some of those blood coming out of her wherever yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. blood coming out of her wherever yeah like some of that stuff i mean it's it's it makes his followers think that they can that it's okay to do those yeah probably feels somewhat empowering for somebody that uh, is already already leaning more that yeah. yeah that has those those um tendencies to act that way or think that way it gives them the green light to go ahead and act on it i think there's some discomfort at any like a like if you go to a biden rally or a warren rally or a sanders rally there's some discomfort there for anybody to want to shout those things or catcall a woman because the likelihood that if they do those things at those locations people are going to call them out on it are probably increased like they're probably likely to shout them down and say no that's not appropriate Mm -hmm. right and that's the kind of society people want to live in and i think maybe that's part of the divide is that maybe these people who want to do those things don't want to live in a society where those things are looked down upon whereas other people want just people to feel comfortable and not threatened and intimidated in any environment and so we it should take people like us or anybody to step in and say hey yeah no we don't do that here we don't we don't catcall women we treat them with respect and that's that's all you do that they're a normal human being they're just like everybody else that's it Hello. Not that. These times are changing. Yeah. Times ding, ding are dong, changing. Ding dong, the witch is dead kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Although Hopefully. more like ding dong, the witch is still living in the background, sowing chaos and if whatnot. Background's a good place for it, though. Yeah. Better, 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 than, better, better, yeah, better. Say, not a good place. <laughs> <but> a, <laughs> <laughs> I was, that's all that it is. I was going to lead into the end. All right. That is our show. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Caroline Cummings. If you have an opportunity to leave us a review on either apple or spotify please do that next episode that we release we will be making sure to include a read of those reviews because some of them are probably going to be pretty good so please leave a review we'll read those on air next episode i guess that's a thing we're doing now that is going to be a thing we're doing all right so that's our show with caroline cummings hope you enjoyed it mask up support your local breweries don't cat call women Politics does not touch football. Politics is winner, take all. It always has been, and it always will be. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their 
love with women all across this country. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America.